0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Time for another episode of the Scoop Rewind podcast brought to you by PPG. Checking in with members of the 2016 Stanley Cup champion, Pittsburgh Penguins, and alongside Michelle Crecciolo of Penn's Inside Scoop. Happy to welcome in from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Eric Fair. Fairzy, what's up? Great to see you again. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing great. Honestly, Farzee, we started this podcast after you left and I'm so excited we have a chance to get you on now because you're one of those like bucket list guests with your uh, great personality. So we're excited to have you.
2: I'm very happy to be here. I'm excited for all the questions.
0: (laughs) Yeah, They're they're coming uh, hot and heavy starting right away. Uh, You you got a great setup there as we can see in the background. You got the Stanley Cup Prince of Wales trophy, of course, from that uh, 2016 Penguins run. We'll get to the final against San Jose here in a second, but I want to go back a little bit in the postseason to the second round when you faced off against another one of those jerseys that you have behind you, one of your uh, former teams, the Washington Capitals. Uh, when that series comes to mind, when you think about that matchup against Washington and you look back now you know, a few years later here, how unbelievable of a series was that to play in? Uh, how much of a classic was it? Just two Goliaths seemingly going head-to-head there in round number two.
2: Yeah, that was an unbelievable series. And for me, obviously, it kind of felt like my Stanley Cup having just left Washington, switching sides to the enemy. um, You know, you definitely don't want to lose that one. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of extra motivation in that series. And um, like you said, that series kind of had everything. It was physical. um, It was intense. It was very evenly matched and uh, obviously very happy we came out on top.
1: Well, what was that like for you, Farzee, just in, from a personal standpoint? Like, were the guys on the other side giving you extra chirps, and were you giving it back? Were you trying to ignore them? Like, just what was that dynamic like with your old teammates?
2: We didn't really say anything about it, but we weren't texting each other, and we weren't talking to each other. And um, I remember game one, Wilson ran me over really hard from behind. And then I knew I was in a series, you know, at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, there was definitely no friends, and – um it was right through to game six. Uh, you know, we were going at each other toe-to-toe.
0: It was a great series, too, because, I mean, I'm sure you remember as we kind of jogged the memory here a little bit, but uh, game one goes to Washington, and that – we'll say it was a goal, but there's I still don't think there's a conclusive replay that T.J. Oshi's wraparound <laughs> went into the back of the net. They won in overtime, and this came after you guys. I don't want to say cruised by, but you had your way pretty relatively easily with the New York Rangers in round number one. So you had to, in a way, get game two and get this series evened up going back to Pittsburgh. And uh, that's when you made your first mark on the score sheet, at least in the series, with that goal, that game winner uh, late in regulation.
2: Yeah, we definitely didn't want to go back home down to nothing. And I remember uh, obviously thinking we had a good shot in game one. And uh, whether it was a goal or not, it happened. And, um, <laughs> you know, game two, um, it, it was great. It was a, an even match and. The, you know, going into the third period there, uh, to be able to score that goal, to, to put the team ahead, that, it was an unbelievable feeling, not only to score against your whole team, but, you know, to, even, to give ourselves a chance to even the series going home. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what would happen if we would have been down 2 nothing.
1: What do you remember from that play, Ferzi? Were you on a line with Gino that game, or was it just like the result of a change? I can't really remember.
2: I was playing with Gino and I think Cooney that game. And I remember we had a couple good chances earlier in the game. Um, Cooney had a nice one in the slot. And I think it was actually just before this goal. And then somehow Gino got it on the half wall and I just went to the net and put my stick on the ice. and uh, (laughs) He just kind of bounced it off my stick and in. So it was, uh, I remember playing with him as one of the only games I I played with Gino. Someone must have been injured or something, but, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to get a goal.
1: Do you remember getting mauled by him right after? Because Josh talked with uh, a few of the other guys from the 16 team, and Brian Russ said, you know, it feels like after every goal he scores that he just immediately gets mauled by Gino right (laughs) after. Is that what happened on this one with you?
2: I don't remember in particular what happened on this one, but uh, I remember kind of being, like, shocked because the puck hit my stick so fast. Like, I couldn't even really see it go in because I was looking at the puck, trying to redirect it, and I wasn't 100% sure it even went in. But uh, obviously, uh, the other guys saw it.
0: Yeah, you know, it was a good tip when Holpe gives you that look back over his shoulder, like where the heck did that come from? But uh, that was a big one.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that one worked out really well. I was, I was excited to get it. And, uh, you know, winning that game for us was, was really important.
0: I got to say this, uh, and I'm sure Michelle remembers this. This is a kind of an aside to that. So that game... We weren't all traveling. Uh, you know, the players, obviously, you guys were all traveling on the team plane and going back and forth. But the extension of the media that was there to cover that series, some of us were driving back and forth. Michelle and I were a part of that. I was actually running in the Pittsburgh half marathon the next morning back in Pittsburgh. So when you scored that goal, I was thanking every single hockey player on the planet because we weren't going to be there until who knew at what time in the morning. But also… We can right. drive right back through the night and then run the next morning. <laughs> so, thank you for that goal. I've never had a chance to actually thank you for scoring, keeping yeah. us there
2: through the morning. My boys. pleasure, definitely my <laughs> pleasure.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair'sie. Josh might have been happier than you when that goal went in.
0: <laughs> well, I doubt point. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was probably pretty happy. You guys were able to hold serve on home ice, though, in a big way. You get three and four, and obviously Chris Latang was out for four. Uh, and and you were able to take control of the series. And I think you you really did a lot to the uh, damage of Washington's confidence in the process there in those two games. Well, we were we were a good
2: team at home, and that, that was important for us, obviously, to win those games. Um, I do remember I was actually injured for one of those games. I think it was game three that I missed, uh, three or four, and then uh, obviously going back game five and, and game six, I was back in the lineup. So. Um, you know, it was nice for us to win our home games and give ourselves a chance to, to close it out.
1: Do you remember seeing any fair uh, Capitals jerseys, Eric?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> to be honest, though, pretty much the entire playoffs was a blur. You know, you're, you're trying just to focus on one game, one game, one game. You're trying to avoid everything that's a distraction on the outside. So, you know, you were telling me some stories earlier and it kind of jogged my memory. But to be honest, most of it was a blur.
1: Okay. Like, I know you guys have talked about that a lot, but maybe now that it's fears removed, we can get to that in more detail. Like, how do you go about blocking all that noise out? Because, you know, I know Josh probably feels the same way, like us watching. I mean, my adrenaline is just, you know, on a complete high and I'm I'm nervous and I'm like anxious. How, how are you guys able to just, you know, like stay even keeled through all that pressure?
2: I wouldn't say we stay even keeled, but we, we definitely try our best. And I think, <laughs> You know, that was part of uh, our team having a lot of veteran experience and veteran leadership. I think there's enough guys on the team that were composed and they were kind of able to bring everybody else in. Um, I know I relied on Kali a lot. He was my stallmate often. Uh, you know, I would talk to him about different things, like how he did it in the past uh, with Carolina, and and he kind of helped me out. And I think everybody just kind of latched on to someone and, and just kind of worked with them in, in small groups, just trying to make sure we stayed focused.
1: That's really interesting you say that, too, because I feel like, you know, the big storylines going in where, you know, Sid, Gino, Tanger, these guys from 09 had, you know, been crushed by the weight of expectations and pressure. And there were the young kids coming in who had no expectations, no pressure. But I always wonder, like, for the guys, you know, in between, like, you were a veteran guy, but you didn't necessarily, you weren't in the same situation as, like, Sid and Gino. So it's cool to hear you give your perspective, like, what it was like for you, you know, not necessarily, like, coming from the outside, but still having been in the league for a while.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was in the playoffs pretty much every year of my career. But, uh, you know, as it's pretty well documented, we were first round or second round exits. So, you know, once you get past that second round, you, you kind of get extra excited and um, you, you think you did it. But you you don't realize that there's two more rounds to go. So, you know, at that point, it's it's just trying to take it day by day and, and not get ahead of yourself. And And I did not let myself visualize or picture myself holding the cup one bit until we ended up winning because I just I didn't want to crush myself if it didn't happen so you know you're just literally focusing on the next game
0: when you look at that uh next series against Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Final um I'm not going to go totally into detail with it but obviously we all know how it shook out you guys won in seven games but Tampa was a lot like you guys from what I remember that year in 2016 they had a lot of speed a lot of skill they were quick in transition which you guys really emphasized a lot of how much do you think just playing a team like that and having that style of play be the way to get past a team at that stage of the season helped you guys when you went into the final against San Jose, who was a really good team, a really deep team, but didn't necessarily play – I wouldn't say speed would be the first word that comes to mind when you think about it, the way the Sharks played.
2: Yeah, I think playing against Washington was a really heavy game. It was, it was probably not as fast, but it was definitely more physical. And I think it took us a little bit of time in the the Tampa Bay series to kind of get caught up to the speed that Tampa was playing with. And you almost have to shift the way you're playing. Um, you know, you change your strategy a little bit. And I think we did that by the end. And, um, you know, when we won game six and seven, we were kind of playing at that faster speed. And I think when we went on to play San Jose, we were we kept that speed. And, um, you know, I don't I don't remember exactly who they are playing in the third round. Was it maybe St. Louis? Yeah, uh, but but I feel like maybe their series wasn't as fast and, and we kind of hit the ground running in, in game one and two, you know, playing at that quick
0: pace. In facing San Jose, uh, Michelle mentioned it a little bit earlier, just kind of the guys you played with. We know Matt Cullen, Tom Kunachal had some moments with Kenny Malkin, some time with Chris Kunitz, uh, was watching some video before we talked with you today when you scored the big goal in game four that kind of sealed that game for you guys and gave you a three games to one series lead you get a pass from Carl Hagwin you're out there with him and Nick Benino, so you're kind of the Swiss army knife but you seem to perform regardless of where you were in the lineup and I think that goes for a lot of guys that played on that team in 2016.
2: Yeah we had a lot of guys that were uh, real versatile and, and I think uh, you know that just goes to coach Sullivan's uh, ideas that you can put players all over the place and, and fill them in different spots and for me, I remember when I was with Haglin and Bonino, I was playing a little bit more of a defensive role. I believe it was late in the game. Um, sometimes Phil gets a shift or two off when uh, when you <laughs> play a little extra defense. I'm not sure why. So uh, you know, I was able to jump out with those guys and, and really take advantage of it.
1: What is it like, you to score a goal in the Stanley Cup final?
2: That was, uh, you know, I watched it a lot after that again. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was just an unbelievable feeling uh, to be able to to score that goal. And I remember watching it after and, and seeing uh, Lemieux was in the press box, and they showed him right after I scored. And it's crazy because Lemieux was my childhood idol. So, you know, to score that goal and to see how pumped he uh, was, uh, you know, that was really exciting for me.
1: Wait, I don't think we knew that. He was like, he was your guy growing up?
2: He was my guy. He's a tall guy, scored a ton of goals. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, so I, I I grew up watching him, and um, you know, to to be able to score that goal, like I said, have him uh, you know so excited, and have the team on the brink of winning the, the cup, it was an unbelievable feeling.
1: Did you get a congratulations from him after the game? I know he's known to uh, go down and you know shake some hands afterward after after victories like that.
2: Yeah, he came down and, and just said uh, nice goal after, and um, you know that's uh, definitely <laughs> something to remember. That's awesome.
0: I yeah. wanted to ask you. I know this isn't this wasn't the uh, the best moment of the series, but Game Five, when you guys came back to Pittsburgh after you won that game, uh, I I very clearly remember the thousands of people that were outside PPG Paints Arena that night, seemingly all the way up the street into the highway. What do you remember about driving in? Just maybe like the, the energy around the city that day and everything that came with that game.
2: I remember. I believe it was a Saturday. And I remember I had a lot of family in town and a lot of friends in town and they really wanted to celebrate. And I was trying to block out all that noise and just play the game. And I feel like we dominated the game and should have won by about 10 goals. And the, the days between game five and game six could have been the longest days of my life. It was unbelievable, like flying all the way over the, across the country, waiting that extra day to play. Um, those were some really long days.
1: Yeah, you mentioned dominating. I mean, I just rewatched uh, game one and we watching game two soon, but like, I think what stands out to me the most after watching it after, you know, these few years is how unbelievably good Martin Jones was. I mean, did you guys have that same sense, especially in game five when it's like, man, like what do we got to do to get another one past <laughs> this guy?
2: Yeah, it uh, it kind of reminded me, and this is uh, going back to the Washington days when Halak stole the series from Montreal when we were playing against them and, um, you know, Jones just kind of had that same uh, feeling going and um, you try not to think about it, but you think, you know, I've seen this before, you know, I've seen a goalie like this when we felt like our team was, was, you know, outplaying San Jose that for a goalie to steal a series like that, I've seen it and, and you just definitely don't want that to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. Cause I mean, for us on the outside, like to me, there was when Rusty scored in game six, against tampa bay like that was when i knew you guys were gonna win like there was no doubt in my mind like and then when the way you guys came out in the first period of game one against the sharks i mean again it was just it reinforced that i was like there there's no chance this Sharks team's gonna win the only thing that gave me any sliver of doubt was martin jones i feel like he was he was just that good credit to him (laughs) yeah i would agree with you there for sure I feel
0: like there are little plays within the series that when you look back at things, they kind of jump out. I mean, you obviously, haven't played in it, I'm sure there are certain things that stand out more than others. But just looking back at game six, I think you guys were up 2-0. Uh, and Joel Ward, or maybe it was when it was scoreless, Joel Ward got a semi-breakaway. And Chris Kunitz came out with the full-body Superman extension and was able to knock the puck off his stick just as he was about to snap it from about the slot uh, on Murray. And I, I don't know. I just—you never know how things are going to play out. But them just having had that game in Game Five, as you mentioned, Martin Jones standing on his head, and little things like that—that that sometimes get lost in the shuffle of the goals and the celebration. I mean, they, they go a long way, do they not?
2: Yeah, they definitely do. And I—I I don't even know. I was it not one-one in that game? Was it, it? Did they one-one? I think it was. I think because I think we had the lead and they tied it, and then that's when uh, Latang came back and scored. There was about there was a couple minutes in between those. Uh, between them tying it and Latang scoring the go-ahead where, I mean, anything could have happened. It's a tie game. Like that's, when they scored that goal to tie it, you start <laughs> not panicking, but like we don't have the lead anymore, you know, and, and anything can happen and um, you kind of have to get too far ahead of yourself. But um, I, I thought once again, we were dominating and we had a tie game halfway through the game.
1: Yeah. What do you remember in terms of, what Sully said to you guys in between the second and the third, because I mean, you guys, I feel like in the third, what did you hold him to? Like three shots, <laughs> the entire period, maybe even two. Yeah. Like you, you totally asserted yourselves. Like, did he say anything to you guys, or was it more you had an understanding already? It was just a matter of going out and executing.
2: I think it was we kind of had an understanding. I know his uh, his big slogan was just play. He said that kind of throughout the whole playoffs, and basically, if he didn't know what to say or didn't have anything to say, he would say just play. <laughs> so we, we, we would just do that i think it was kind of his way to just keep us light you know we had the skill we had the the speed we had everything we needed just don't overthink it just play hockey and um you know i think that's what we were doing
0: all right we're gonna get to the celebration for game six and everything that came with that in a second but before <laughs> we get on for this podcast we were talking about some ice things that i think we want to dive into here so anyone who's uh who's seen in the room, which is such an awesome behind-the-scenes look at your team, and especially that first run back in 2016, has seen some of the video that happens before games. And one thing that we saw that jumped out to us was Eric Fair reading the lineups, the starting lineups for every game. How'd that come about, uh, and, and how'd you kind of make it your own?
2: Well, I know that uh, Sully liked to give everybody a turn at the starting lineup, and throughout the regular season, different guys would get it. Whenever you lost the game, it would move to the next guy. And uh, when I first got it, I read the lineup just pretty quick. And uh, we won the game, so it just kept going. And um, I was trying to get a little bit creative with it because we got on a little bit of a winning streak. So, um, you know, I was just adding a little bit to to the lineup every every game we won. And by the end, I was doing full-out uh, announcing, it felt like. And, um, you know, come playoff time, whenever we we'd hit a slump, the score sheet would come back to me or, or the lineup sheet to, to try to, Keep things up again, and, and I was able to do it a lot in the playoffs as well.
1: Did you do it before this Game Six?
2: Oh, I can't. I honestly can't remember, but <laughs> it felt like I did it every game because I was trying to like be creative. You know, at one point I think I was like saying like the birthplace of every guy in the lineup and <laughs> like just going through all kinds of crazy things just to to try to get the guys going. And then it got to the point where I was like, Sully, like you need to tell me who's starting ahead of time so I can get creative. <laughs> So I think I was getting a little bit of assistance and, uh, you know, just trying to keep it light in the room and, and get the guys excited.
1: <laughs> that is I so picturing you going up to Sully and being like, Sully, man, come on, like work with me here.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got like a couple numbers circled and it's, t- it's tough to see these lineups when it's under pressure, you know. So uh, I was tired of going off the cuff, so I wanted to do a little bit of research.
1: That's so
0: uh, good. That's awesome. I'm sure that uh you kind of touched on it a little bit there and I'm sure that it's not unique to the penguins that did something like that but in those kind of moments do you kind of feel that your role was so important in just maybe giving that light moment like the 30 seconds before the team's going to go out on the ice and and play first Stanley Cup?
2: Yeah, I I feel like that's kind of one of the things that I bring to the room is I like to joke around a lot and I just like to have fun in the room and obviously there's a lot of guys in Pittsburgh and Flower being the, the main guy that comes to mind um, and we sat really close to each other so we uh, we could exchange a few ideas but um, you know that's one thing I like to pride myself on is making sure that we're just having fun goofing around uh, before the game starts.
1: Yeah so going off that how did the pregame energy drink routine get started? What's the story behind that? Um,
2: not really i'm not even sure how it started but i always grabbed a red bull before the game and uh i would just offer if anybody wanted some premium fuel for the game you know it's important (laughs) to have premium fuel so uh i would go to the cooler and i'd grab it and i'd yell it pretty much every game and nobody would take me up on my offer Um, (laughs) but at some point uh, dumo and Daly said uh, yeah i'll take a premium fuel so i brought over a couple red bulls and we cracked them and um at some point it turned into you know if Daly or uh or Dumo got injured, we'd pour a little bit out for him just because he wasn't in the game. And I know that was uh later carried on after I got traded. They uh they poured one out for me. I don't know if it was every game or some games, whatever it was, but it was nice of him to keep that tradition going.
1: Well nice you guys to to do it for Dell's because yeah, I mean he went down and I and I believe it was game six of the or no, it was in the Tampa series. I think it was game four, right? Game four. I don't remember when it was, but yeah,
2: we were definitely, I think we are pouring out like almost half a can for Dales <laughs> at one point. We have to go back to the uh, the ice bucket for more, but you know, that was a big loss for us, uh, losing Dales, one of our more consistent guys and a steady uh, veteran back there. So yeah, we definitely uh, poured a few out for him.
0: What did you make of uh, Michelle kind of touched on this a little bit earlier with some of the guys that were brought on board, you know, as far as the the pressure that had been there and the shortcomings that had been there with the core that was in place. But obviously you came on board Colton was there, but the, the in season deals of guys like Dales, uh, Carl Hagelin and Justin Schultz, who got a big opportunity with Daly being hurt. Uh, how much did those guys, when you think about just watching the evolution of the dressing room and the team on the ice from, you know, day one of training camp to that final night in San Jose, how much of those guys really changed the dynamic on both fronts?
2: Well, I think all the guys we kind of brought in are guys that uh, not like, they don't like to horse around too much, but like really like to enjoy the game and have fun. And, you know, not so much about the X's and O's, just what just like and enjoy the game. So I think the room was uh, pretty light. I know at the beginning of the season, um, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the team and you could feel the tension and, I think by the end of the season, everybody was just having fun, and nobody wanted to go home. And um, I think that's a big reason why we kept winning.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I feel like Josh and I have have somewhat of a sense of just the locker room chemistry from, you know, being around you guys a decent amount. But obviously, we're there when the door open to the media, but we're not there, you know, behind closed doors. And, you know, it's, it's something where you try to explain how Trevor Daly is to fans who don't necessarily know him, because he comes off as quiet and shy when he's doing interviews. But I feel like him, Haggy, all these guys like did have like great personalities. And you guys all just clicked so easily. Am I right?
2: We had a a ton of really good personalities on the team. And, um, you know, a lot of us, we didn't have to go out for supper as a team, but a lot of us went together and um, we had huge, uh, huge tables in the playoffs where I've been on teams where, you know, it's kind of groups of three, groups of four, but, you know, we had to keep making our reservations bigger and bigger. We just had that wanted to hang out with each other and um you know that's that's a sign of a good team
1: actually that reminds me because i want to say cully told me this story before but maybe you can revisit it like what was the story behind the blazers that you had with uh, i want to say it, was it something like a patch with cully's like number on was, it or something like that that was
2: cully's retirement crew <laughs> and we, we did dinner for Cully all year long we went to some fancy restaurants like three-star Michelin restaurants it was Benino, Kunitz Cully and myself had blazers with his logo on there we made all kinds of stuff up and he didn't retire <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we had we did all this stuff put in all this work for his retirement and he played another two <laughs> or three years he was, I think I something about it after he eventually retired and just said, like, good thing I got to celebrate this retirement three years ago.
1: Are <laughs> you guys putting the bill every time?
2: <laughs> uh, no, he chipped in, but, uh, you know, we definitely gave him uh, a couple freebies in there, so we're going to have to hit him back up for those.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, you know, like, how much of an influence it was on you, and I remember Marc-Andre Fleury saying, you know, like, he would even go to Cully just asking him, like, Oh, the media, you know, is asking me about, you know, the, the goaltending situation. Like, what should I say? Like asking for guidance, like, what do you remember in terms of like things that Collie told you that really stuck with you that you might remember that were like helpful during that time?
2: Um, I I just remember talking to him a lot about what our role was. You know, we, we were kind of defensive specialists and we didn't get a ton of opportunity to play in the O zone. And we started every single face off in the D zone and it's kind kind of frustrating at times because it's a thankless job you know you win the draw you get the puck out you get off the ice and people think they're doing nothing when really you know it's a pretty important job so I remember talking to him about that and then obviously our penalty killing um you know we were one of the first guys out every time there's a penalty kill just just kind of the the way the different strategies we'd have against the different pp units um those are things that we discussed a lot
0: he obviously uh, was hoping to get back to winning a Stanley Cup, as you mentioned he did with uh, Carolina in 2006. You had never won one before. A lot of guys on that team had never won one before. So let's let's jump into this game six situation where I'm sure your whole life as a hockey player growing up, you're dreaming about that moment and what it could be like. And I'm just going to bet, Farzee, that you did not dream that you'd be coming out of the penalty box to celebrate <laughs> winning the Stanley Cup.
2: Yeah, that never crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> you know, like I was mentioning to you guys earlier, Sid had texted me about two weeks ago. He must have been re-watching the game, and he was laughing at me, saying, Farzee, you got to play right till the last whistle. <laughs> uh, I got a, a high-sticking penalty with 10 seconds left in the game and uh, had to come out of the penalty box. And, um, you know, that was one of the toughest moments for me because I'm watching the clock count down, and it's going three, two. And I see the whole team jump on the ice. And the guy running the gate won't open the gate. And I'm telling him, open the gate. I want to go celebrate. And i have to wait that extra second or two before he <laughs> opens the gate. And I'm late to the pile. And all I want to do is celebrate. And, and he wouldn't let me out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it had to have like, sucked at the time. But in hindsight, it's a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious story.
2: I'm really curious how many people have come out of the penalty box to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple, but the list can't be long.
0: No, it can't be. <laughs> it really can't be. And like I was saying before we started, there's a great shot. I think the in-the-room guys got it of the overhead. and the entire, Not to rub it in, but the entire team's coming off the bench. And the ball, <laughs> there's a few of them coming out of the uh, team entrance, which was off in the corner. And then you just come beelining from <laughs> the opposite side of the rink. It's, it's pretty <laughs> like
2: you kind of visualize like when you win the cup like you're kind of on the bottom of the pile and everyone's jumping on you and I feel like I was the last guy there I think, the, I think the scratches you know the guys that were skating with us all season I think they beat me to the pile which is crazy because their gate was closer than my gate it's just uh oh you know, it's, just, it's just a tough way to finish it but at least we won and I'm glad I was able to get in that scrum altogether.
1: But did you throw your gear the second you got out of the box, or did you wait till you got closer?
2: <laughs> I, I think I maybe hit the blue line and threw my gear, but you know, throwing <laughs> your gear when you're completely by yourself it loses the effect. You know, you want to be right in the mix. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, it was all worth it in the end. Got a to right?
1: <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> play till <of> the whistle, right? Yeah, play to the whistle, Sydney Crosby.
0: One thing you do have going in your favor, at least, is the video feed. You see the fair 16 jersey jump on top of the pile. So you're very visible when you get on that pile, at least. You're not like, yeah. underneath. Like it looks like when you guys first started piling on Matt Murray that he got clotheslined and was just getting absolutely mauled in the beginning of that. So you, you
2: That's you like, where you want to be. You want to be on the bottom of that pile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Fairzy like, what do you remember from once you get to the pile and just like, you know, are you searching out certain guys? Are you just hugging whoever's in your path? Like, what's just those first few minutes like immediately after you clinch and, and you get to, to join the guys?
2: I think you're just hugging every single guy on the team. Um, you know, you're just kind of going through the guys. I think, uh, obviously, going to a guy like Cully, who we kind of feel like we did it together. You know, we, were, we played together pretty much every game, um, PK together every game. Um, then maybe look for the guys like Dales, who who wasn't able to play and obviously was such a big part of it. And of course, Phil, Phil, <laughs> the thrill there, uh, the, just getting his first cup, you know, there's so many different storylines with that team. Um, you know, that's, that's part of what made it so fun.
1: Do you remember who handed you the cup and then who you handed it to? Cause I know that's one of the most fun things for us because obviously we don't come down until, you know, a while after we watch everything from upstairs. Um, but do you, uh, I know that's like one of the most fun things for us to watch is like, try to guess who's going to get it next.
2: You yeah. know? I'm 99% sure that I got it from Phil. I'm pretty sure I got it from Phil the thrill, which is, which is sweet. What an honor to get it from Phil.
0: <laughs> Iconic.
2: And I yeah. think they gave it to Ben Lovejoy, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Do you guys know the answer?
0: I, I don't-, don't remember to be honest with no, you.
2: No, I'll have to look it up, but I know I'm pretty sure Phil gave it to me. I'm pretty sure I gave it to Ben Lovejoy
1: dude that is iconic as josh said to, to be able to say that phil kessel handed you the stanley cup like, yeah.
2: the one thing i would say about uh, getting the cup i wish i would have taken a longer lap i think yes. it took too short of a lap um you're so excited to get it and you just you're enjoying it but like as soon as you turn you're going back to the pile like you can't turn back you know right. so you're kind of you're kind of with the cup looking at it, all of a sudden you realize you're going back to the pile i'm like i'm not done yet but I think I ended up giving it up a little early.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's exactly. I was thinking that when I was watching the '09 celebration. Like Sergey Gonchar skated for three seconds, then turned around. I was like, "Bro, do a full lap! Like you deserve it. Like all of you guys earned it." And yeah, it's it's tough when you when you just do a quick twirl and twirl and come back. Like you definitely, uh, you guys definitely deserve the full laps. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. No. It was it was good though, and. Like I said, getting it from Phil, uh, you know, that's pretty sweet. Uh, that one goes down in the, the record books for me.
0: What, what flashes through your mind when you lift it up, Farzee? Do you remember that? I mean, is it is it as simple like what everyone says? Is it is it your past, your hockey career, parents, stuff like that? What goes through your mind?
2: I'll be honest with you. I had a bit of a bad shoulder, so I was just hoping I wouldn't drop the thing, and I wanted to be able to hold it straight up. So um, <laughs> I was excited. Like, I knew it was going to be heavy, And I knew that lifting over my head was not a good idea, but um, once I got it, you know, things felt a lot better, and and I was able to carry it around with uh, relative ease.
1: I think the only one that was in actual danger of dropping it was Jacques Martin, right?
2: Dale's was in trouble, too, with his foot. (laughs) He didn't look like he was getting around very well.
0: Yeah, that's true. He was kind of hobbling with that thing. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) But but like you said, you you carry this cup, and all of a sudden you're bulletproof. You know, Dale's... Skating around was probably not a good idea, but you put a cup in his hands and he's a figure skater out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: great. There's, like, I mean, just in general, when you think back on this, one, right? I mean, I know we've touched on a lot of different moments, but, you know, from your own personal perspective, when someone asks you about it, like, what, what are the first things that come to mind that are your most, like, cherished, I guess, memories from, from 16?
2: I think uh, the dinners that we had, going out with all the guys uh, for, for dinner in the different cities. Um, playing cards on the plane and playing cards in the suite. We always had a big uh, suite where everyone would hang out at, uh, you know, in the evenings we'd watch the other games, uh, play cards, Uh, just hanging out with the guys. Those are the things that I remember the most. And then, uh, you know, playing the card game on the plane on the way home and using the cup as the table. So we're throwing our cards into the Stanley cup. Um, I have a picture of that, uh, that i look at every once in a while just just the memories of of playing cards with the stanley cup it's uh it's pretty cool
1: who was in that card game i obviously gino and phil was it bones as so well?
2: the, the main card table was cully bones cooney and myself and then when we extended it uh, we played 13 up 13 down when we'd extend the game we would put in gino and phil as well or sorry phil phil was in there cully was not in the regular game so phil cooney and bones and then cully would come in gina would come in later phil was actually my card partner on the plane which uh was a lot of fun because this guy's known for his gambling abilities and <laughs> when we partnered up uh you know we did pretty well it was it was exciting
1: i was gonna say did he teach you everything you know
2: <laughs> uh i still he he taught me a lot about the game of euchre but uh, I still play a game called Pineapple with them every once in a while. It's a poker game, and I, I still have the title, so I like to rub that one in on them.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So you guys get back to Pittsburgh with the cup. Uh, what do you remember from that, that whole parade? Uh, I remember it being a beautiful day, uh, but just going through the city, seeing uh, everyone out, and, and kind of, did, did it really hit you at that point that you had won or it had it already sunk in at that point?
2: I think it sunk in the night before when we were at uh, Lemieux's house, when we uh, had the big party there. Um, that was that was really cool for me, obviously, growing up, being a huge fan. Um, the parade the next day was super hot outside. And I. it's funny, one of the memories I have is just how excited my daughter was to throw candy. <laughs> so she! All she wanted to do was throw candy. And actually, this year in Geneva, we were in a parade uh, at the beginning of the year, and I took my daughter. And before the parade started, she said, can I throw candy again? (laughs) He remembered somehow that she was throwing candy in the last parade she was in. (laughs) Um, That's how important it was to her. So, um, you know, that was uh, a big moment for her. It was awesome. Um, It was a long, it it felt like a pretty long parade, which was nice. You know, it wasn't over right away. Um, But, uh, you know, those are some of the memories I had.
1: Did you share a car with someone or were you on your own?
2: I was with Ian Cole. And I, I remember the uh, the one parking garage. I'm sure you guys have seen it, just like how many people pile into that one parking garage, and they're kind of on every level just screaming. Um, you know, seeing that was was one of the, the best parts of the parade, just how many people were there and, and how loud it was.
0: Well, Fares, you just about to wrap up here. Anything else uh, that comes to mind as far as stories from that 2016 run worth sharing?
2: I have one story, and if this happened before the playoffs even started – um, I remember it like it was yesterday. we were sitting in a training room at the practice facility, and Phil Kessel told Gino Malkin that he was going to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. And I don't think I've ever seen Gino laugh so hard. He goes, "Phil, you?" He <laughs> said, "If you win the Conn Smythe, I'll give you mine." <laughs> and if you follow the run, I think Phil could very well have won the consmite. I think if he scores the goal in game six, he's like right beside the post. He's got a chance to tap it in. I can't remember what happens. But if he scores that goal instead of Sid assisting on the Tangs ball, I think he wins the consmite. <laughs> and I would be very interested to see what would have happened because he called his shot and he almost nailed it. Did you guys ever hear that story? Or did you guys know that? No.
1: No, but I was definitely uh, I feel like we were all right there with you that we felt Phil was like super deserving of it. So that's like incredible to now have that added layer added layer of context to it that like he was like, Gino, I'm gonna win it.
2: He, I'm gonna win the con smith. This is before we even won one game, you know. <laughs> we haven't even won a game in the series against New York yet. And he's calling and shot at a con Smythe trophy. So that's that's pretty impressive. <laughs>
0: It's unbelievable. Another another chapter of the legend to fill the throw with that kind it of just shit. keeps growing. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't know if he's
2: gonna be mad at me or not, but uh, that story has to be told.
0: <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> like, they will appreciate it.
1: Yeah. It's just such a reminder, like again of the camaraderie between you guys. These these stories are so fun to hear because you guys definitely all had such a good rapport and it's it's really fun to like reflect back on all that.
2: Have you guys interviewed Mr. Game One yet?
1: He's really Yes.
2: You got to get mr. game one. it's It's important. he still goes by the nickname. Um, you should probably get him on.
1: I feel like you got to tell fans like what that was because people might not know the story behind Mr. Game One.
2: well, Mr. Game One is Jeff Zackoff. Uh, he was I guess kind of our third goalie at the time. We had Murray. We had flurry, and both of them were injured going into the playoffs. and he started game one against the Rangers and played really well, won the game. and um, I think after that flurry came back and played game two, if I'm correct. Um, but from then on, you know, he just talked about how easy it was to win the game and how um, he's uh, he's Mr. Game One. He got the whole thing rolling, which he did. He so did? Uh, you know, we got to give a lot of credit to him.
0: That was amazing. <laughs> what what a way to end this to end with Mr. Game One, where it all started. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and talking with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, best wishes to you and your family. I hope you guys are staying safe, doing well, and uh, congratulations again. A few years removed, but we'll say it again. Congrats on that 2016 Stanley Cup championship.
2: Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. For Michelle Krecciolo and Eric Fair, I'm Josh Getsoff. Thanks for tuning in to this 2016 Cup Memories. It's the Scoop Rewind presented by PPG. We'll be back with more as we continue our look back at 2016. So check us out on pittsburghpenguins.com.